Our God reigns. Jesus is the King. Amen. Good morning, church. My name is Justin. I am one of the uh, pastors, the lead teacher here at Peninsula Grace. It's a joy and it's a it's a privilege, it's an honor to be able to serve and, and praise our good King uh, together with you today. Uh, we're glad you're here, and uh, we're going to be digging into God's Word today together, looking at some promises that He made to David and what those have to do uh, with our world today. Um, when I was a high school basketball coach over at Cook Inlet Academy, our girls team had this semi-bizarre um, pregame ritual. And they would stand at the top of the staircase in the gymnasium, and they would start banging on the walls. And the captain, she would scream out, whose house? And then all the other girls would echo or would say, our house. Whose house? Huh? It's, you sounded tougher than that? Right. Uh, our house, who's ha- back and forth. And the idea was to I- intimidate uh, the other team, claiming this is our house, and you can't just waltz in here and think that you're going to beat us in our own house. Our eagle talons are out. Ha! And they would, let me tell you, there is nothing less intimidating than a bunch of 14-year-old girls screaming, our house. It's like, all right, I'm just not scared, Amy. I'm sorry, I wasn't. Uh, and, and, but here's the deal. We, I have this, that same pregame mantra in my own heart uh, all, all the time. I had a, recently a colleague of mine, uh, not in this church, it, it wasn't Ross or Daniel, uh, they, they sent me an email and they were telling me about this meeting that I was going to be coming to. Not asking, they thought they were asking, but they weren't. And they were telling me who was going to be coming to the meeting, when the meeting would be, and, and what the meeting was supposed to be about. And in my heart, I said, oh, oh no, you didn't. Right? And there's these little tiny 14-year-old girls in my heart going, whose house? Right? You don't tell me when to meet. You don't tell me who to meet with. And you don't tell me what to meet about. Our house! I will tell you where I'm meeting, who I'm meeting with, and what I'm going to be meeting about. Booyah, Pastor Mike drop. And the Lord was like, oh, Justin, we got some heart issues there that we need to talk about. And I said, but who's, oh, yes, Lord, this is your house. We've been doing this since the fall. In the Garden of Eden, uh, each human has had a desire to be their own ruler. This is how sin was introduced into our world. That Adam and Eve said, God, you won't tell me what to do. I'll decide what's right or wrong. Chomp. Our house, Abraham, remember we said a couple weeks ago, when he said, to, I'm going to impregnate Sarah, he was saying, I will decide how your promises get fulfilled, God, my house. And we're going to see today, with the nation of Israel, before David comes onto the throne, there's this nasty period of time called the Judges, where it is just sin is running rampant. Everybody is saying, I will do what I want to do. It says at the end of Judges, in those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did whatever seemed right to him. Whose house? Each of their hearts was saying, my house. And they were devouring each other. They needed a king. They needed a king. And then even today, God brings that king. But we know the story of David and, and his most recorded uh, sin, uh, his epic fall where he's on the rooftop and he sees Bathsheba. And he says, I'll take what I want. What I will say is mine. David said, my house. And just like I did when I responded in my heart to that email. 
We're in this series, if you haven't been with us, called The Unfolding Promise, and we're looking at um, the story of the Bible. God is revealing his plans and his promises and his purposes uh, in, through mankind, for mankind in this great story. And we said that God created us for three central purposes that we're seeing echoed throughout our story. Number one, a relationship with him. Number two, rulership under him as his representatives here on earth. And then finally, a restful worship of our God in our God. Today, we want to zoom in. Our story today is going to be uh, looking at the idea of what does it look like to, to rule under God himself? Um, we, we want to ask the question, what does rulership look like um, at, for Israel uh, and David under God's ultimate authority? How should Israel be ruled back then? And therefore, uh, what does it have to do with us today and the way that we live our lives, the way that our, our hearts should be ruled in whose house? God's house. So let's look at three things. First of all, we want to look at the problem. If you've got your, uh, some fill-in-the-blanks there in your bulletin, you can follow along. The problem is that we want to be our own ruler. We said since the garden, we want to be our own ruler. We're going to pick up the story in 1 Samuel 8. We'll be looking at the Christian Standard Bible if you're following along in your own. It says in verse 1, When Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons as judges over Israel. So we're at the end of, getting to the end of the period of judges in Israel's history. And it says here that Samuel appoints his own sons as, as judges. Now this is a problem. Uh, not only is there some nepotism going on, that God had set up, he said, God said, I will appoint judges. This was not a dynasty. You didn't, you didn't pass down your judginess to your children. God appointed them. And so Samuel is going out, coloring outside of God's lines, taking rulership into his own hand here. Whose house? Samuel's house. And it turns out that his, his sons were dirty dogs. Verse 3, however, his sons did not walk in his ways. They turned toward dishonest prophet, took bribes, and perverted justice. So we see a bad ruler of his own house appointing bad rulers over God's house. And here is this famous line, when Israel comes to uh, Samuel... Uh, the elders representing the, the nation. It says, all the elders of Israel gathered together and went to Samuel at Ramah. They said to him, look, you are old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Good to see you. Samuel, you're old and your sons stink. Therefore, appoint a king to judge us, as, ju judge us the same as all the other nations have. When they said, give us a king to judge us, Samuel considered their demand wrong. So he prayed to the Lord. They say, give us a king like the nations have. And Samuel says, it says he considered that to be wrong. Now, is that wrong? And if so, why? Well, let's rewind the tape and, and look do a little royal review. Uh, we, we know that Adam and Eve were created. Uh, remember we said in our story that, that Adam is appointed the first royal priest in the garden, that he is protecting the sanctuary, the holy space of God and man dwelling together in the garden. And then we see that Adam and Eve are sent out into the world representing God as little royal kings and queens to rule and have dominion over the earth in the name of their God. So we see God's heart for rulership under him right out of this, the, this, the garden. Uh, then, but then we see with Abraham and Sarah, we said we, the, the, the picture got a little bit clearer. Then Abraham, it says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to raise up a nation from Abraham and bless all nations. And, and he says to Abraham in his promise, one of the things he says to him is, I will make kings come from you. So out of Israel, there will be kings. God declares this to be, and then he, he confirms that with Jacob. There will be kings from your people. And then we saw one of Jacob's sons, Abraham's great-grandson, Judah, uh, in a prophecy from Jacob, we, we hear from God that the, the kingly line is going to come through Judah. 
Judah is a young lion. The scepter will not, the scepter, the king's tool, will not depart from Judah. And of course we know that David is from the tribe of Judah himself. So the problem here is not that there's going to be a king. God prophesied it. He, 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 the problem we're going to see is in this little phrase here, appoint a king to judge us the same as all the other nations have. This is a heart issue. It's the motive of their heart and the kind of king that they want. But our God, who is sovereign and who knows everything and is in control, he knew this was going to come. He knew this day was going to come. In fact, he tells us back in Deuteronomy 17, when he's talking through Moses to the people, his big sermon before they're going to enter the land. He says, when you enter the land, the Lord your God is giving you, take possession of it, live in it, and say, I will set a king over me like all the other nations around me. He said, he knew this was coming. He says, when they say this, here's the, he's going to show them in Deuteronomy 17 the kind of king that he wants them to set in place. But first he says the kind of king that it should not be. He, he, he compares it to an earthly king. He says, this should not be the kind of earthly king that takes and takes and takes from the people. An earthly king, he shows, is one that puts his trust in his own armies. Look at the size of my military. You will be safe and secure in your land because of the size of our horses and chariots. He puts his trust in political allies. Look at my ability to play nice with the nations around me, to form allies and relationships with those surrounding us. And then he puts his trust in his own wealth. Look at my wealth, look at my wisdom, and look at my power. He says the earthly king and the earthly nation puts their trust in such things, but he said that's not the kind of king that you are to have them appoint. What's the king of God's choosing? Two criteria. Number one, it's going to be of God's choosing. It says in verse 15, you are to appoint over you the king the Lord your God chooses. He says you won't choose them, I will choose them. I know the kind of king that I want. And the second thing, and the only positive requirement he gives in this section, is that they are obedient to his word. Look at, uh, picking it up in, in verse 18. When he, the king, is seated on his royal throne, he is to write a copy of this instruction that was the law of Moses that he's been giving them. Remember, Deuteronomy is the retelling of that law. He's to write a copy of this instruction for himself on a scroll in the presence of the Levitical priest. He says, have the king write it down. Muscle memory, right? Remember this thing and have it right next to him. It is to remain with him and he is to read, it from, read from it all the days of his life so that, here's why I want him to read this, so that he may learn to fear me, to fear the Lord your, his God, to observe all the words of his instruction and to do these statutes. God knew as the leaders go, so goes the nation. He says, then his heart will not be exalted above his countrymen. The king's not going to get cocky. The king's not going to think that he is the ultimate authority at play. He will not turn from this command to the left or the right, and he and his sons will continue reigning many years in Israel. He says... This king is not going to put his trust in his own wisdom or wealth or power. This king will put his trust in me, will obey my word. The problem was not that Israel wanted a king. The problem was that like the rest of the nations around them, they did not bow the knee to Yahweh, that they would put their trust in the wrong source. And we see this back to 1 Samuel 8 when the Lord told Samuel, listen to the people and do everything and, and everything they say to you. They have not rejected you. They have rejected me as their king. God saw the hearts of Israel and they didn't trust Yahweh to lead them. They didn't trust Yahweh to protect and provide for them. We want a king that we can see. We want an army that we can see. 
He said the people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said, we must have a king over us. Whose house? Our house. Then we'll be like all the other nations. Our, God, our king will judge us, go out before us, and fight our battles. And we know the psalmist says the battle belongs to the Lord. But what do they say? And the, the battle belongs to our king. We need a king to fight our battles. We do not trust Yahweh. So this is a good thing. We saw in Judges, they needed a king. It was chaos without a king. But the problem was they made a good thing, a king, a replacement king of God himself, and that's when something becomes idolatry and destructive. We would say it this way, when good things become replacement kings of God himself, they become sinful things. They become sinful things. A good thing, a good thing that God gave us, we make it ultimate and it becomes destructive. And why is that? Well, because we always serve our gods. There's only one that we're called to worship and serve, and that's God himself. But when we worship something else, we're going to do what it tells us to do. So you think of money, for example. I, I like to think of myself as frugal. Other people in my life that will go unnamed like to call me cheap. I think that's unkind. So my solution or approach to spending money is very simple. Don't. Yeah, right? Like, just don't put it in the jar and move on, brother. Uh, unless you have to, don't save, don't, don't spend the money, right? Now, now, is saving money bad? No. There's times, there are times when, when it's wise and good to save and look ahead, but when a good thing becomes an ultimate thing, it becomes a God thing, and I serve it. And I've seen in my own heart the destructive nature of this, where I, it's, I struggle to be a generous person. And not just financially. I struggle with my greed. And, and, and what I see is what I'm doing when I get money, it's not, Jesus, what would you have me do with this money? It's, oh, God of savings, what would you have me do with this money? And they tell me the same thing every time. Save it, fool. Right? Like that's, yes, yes, Lord, right? In, in our pride, in our, what, what am I doing? I am putting my security and trust in my, my savings account, not my savior. And this is what happens. In our flesh, at the, at the end of the day, we want to be our own ruler. And we're telling God, my way, not, not your way. Whose house? Justin's house. So let me ask you, what, what good things are you making replacement kings in your own heart? Maybe, maybe it is saving money. Maybe it's spending money. Maybe it's shop therapy. Maybe for you, it's, it's, uh, it's making ultimate your family and, or that family situation that you don't have or getting out of the family situation you do have. Maybe it's success. Maybe it's the way people look at you. Maybe it's, it's politics. Maybe it's a pleasure or an addiction. And whatever it is, a lot of these things are, a family is good, right? Government's good, but when we make those good things, the ultimate thing in our life, we serve them instead of God, and it destroys. So the problem is we want to be our own rulers, call the shots on our own. But the truth of the matter is that we are not under our own authority. We're under the authority of the word of God. We see God gives them what they ask for. And listen, God always gives us what we ask for. If we ask of him, he will give himself to us. And if we ask for those idols, he will give us over to them. That's what Romans 1 says. So they get what they ask for, and it comes in the form of Saul. Now, if you know Saul, the first king, not a good hombre, right? So what happens here? First uh, Samuel 15, he disobeys God famously. And what it says of him, Samuel replied to Saul, I will not return with you because you rejected the word of the Lord. What was Deuteronomy 17's instruction? Obey God's word. Samuel did not do that. You reject, or excuse me, Saul did not do that. You rejected the word of the Lord. The Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. And Samuel said to Saul, the Lord has torn the kingship of Israel away from you today and has given it to your neighbor who is better than you. That's going to be David. 
So what he tells Saul, you've disobeyed God and, and the crown will be removed from, from your head. And, and we saw in this story, we've seen God forming covenants with humans. We saw God choosing Adam and Eve to work with them, then choosing Noah uh, by grace, but choosing Abraham, his nation, to bless all nations, choosing Israel as that nation. And now we're going to see him choose only a boy named David, only a little sling. Am I the only one that went to VBS? That's cool. Um, so we see David uh, chosen by God to be king. Now, if you remember 1 Samuel 16, remember the story? David's got all these bigger, stronger, more handsome-looking brothers, and God says, not him, not him, not him, little shepherd boy, that's my guy. Then the Lord said, anoint him. Tell Samuel, anoint David, for he is the one. He's the one I choose. Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed David in the presence of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully on David from that day forward. Now, two important things to to point out here. Number one, God anoints David. God chooses him. Remember Deuteronomy 17? The Lord will choose the king. And then secondly, is that he's anointed by Samuel. Now, why is it important that he's anointed by Samuel? Well, Samuel introduces for us a new role in the life of Israel. It's the role of a prophet. And the the prophets are to speak for God to the people. And just like in Deuteronomy 17, he told us about kings. The next chapter in Deuteronomy 18, he tells us about prophets. And he says, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me. This is Moses talking, the the original prophet, uh, from among your own brothers. You must listen to him. He says, when the prophet in Israel speaks, you listen. I loved when my mom used to send me to my siblings with a message. (laughs) Mom said, you have to share your Power Ranger toys with me, right? Now, the authority, why do they have to listen to me? Because I'm sent with the authority of almighty matriarch on high, right? Not because of my authority, but because of the one who sent me. And that always went really well. The, The prophets were messengers from God. God, their authority spoke through them. The reason the people listened to the prophet was because the prophet was speaking the words of God himself. And this, is, this was a check, check and balance, right? So that, the author- so that the king would not rule unilaterally like the rest of the nations. The king was, had to listen to the word of God in the form of the law of Moses and the word of God in the form of prophets to make sure that it was God himself, Yahweh, ruling through that king. And this is where we get to the Davidic covenant, the covenant of David, Davidic. And we see God speaking to David through the prophet Nathan. Verse 1 of 2 Samuel 7, when the king had settled into his place and the Lord had given him rest on every side from all his enemies. So David has conquered the land as the people before him had failed to do. And here Nathan comes. King said to the prophet Nathan, look, I am living in a cedar house while the ark of the Lord, the ark of God sits inside tent curtains. David says to Nathan, this is, this is messed up. I'm living in a better house than God. Remember the temporary tent of meeting, the tabernacle, was the dwelling place of God uh, throughout the, their journeys through the wilderness. Then they get to the land and it was God's design that one day there would be a permanent structure called a temple. And David says, I want to build God this house. Now that's a good and right desire, right? That lines up with the word of God. But he needed to bring that to God and make sure that was God's uh, desire as well. And what God says through Nathan the prophet is, I'm good. I got my RV house right now. Like, I'm good with that. You're, you're not going to build me a house. And then he flips the script. He plays on the word house here. And through Nathan, it says, the Lord declares to you, David, the Lord himself will make a house for you. 
Your house and kingdom will endure before me forever, and your throne will be established forever. Not a physical house, like a temple or a building, but a household. God says, you want to build me a house? David, I'm actually going to build you a house. But it's going to be a family line, a dynasty of kings that will start with you and go on for how long? Forever. Forever. So he speaks through Nathan. Uh, and to keep David's authority in check, I'm going to build you a house. Whose house? God's house. And here God makes this series of, of promises to David in this covenant, binding himself by oath. And remember in, with Abraham, all this I will language? That's when you're looking for promises in the Bible. Look for the I wills. And he says to David eight times, I will, I will, I will. Now some of these promises are going to be fulfilled in David's lifetime, some after his lifetime. So let's look at the ones in his lifetime. I will make a great name for you like that of the greatest on the earth, a great name for David, his character, name represented character. I will des designate a place for my people Israel and plant them so that they may live there and not be disturbed again. Evildoers will not continue to oppress them as they have done. Your place in Canaan, in, now in Israel, the land of the promise, will be secure. Ever since the day I ordered the judges to be over my people Israel, I will give you rest from all your enemies. I'll give you a great name and I'll give you a restful permanent place. Now we hear the echoes of the promise to Abraham, right? What did he promise to Abraham? A great name which is coming true in the people of Israel and in David. I'll give you this, per this place, this land of Canaan that he was to travel to, and now we see it settled by King David and his people, and then I'll give you rest from all your enemies. What did he say to, to Abraham? I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. God is fulfilling faithfully his promises to Abraham and continuing them through David. But then there are some things that are not going to come true until after David is gone. Uh, verse 12, when your time comes and you rest with your ancestors, David dies, I will raise up after you your descendant who will come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. So he says there's a, des a descendant coming from your body. We know the first one's going to be who? S Solomon, right? He is the one who will build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father. He'll be my son. When he does wrong, I will discipline him with a rod of men and blows from mortals. But my faithful love will never leave him as it did when I removed it from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Your house and kingdom will endure before me forever and your throne will be established forever. Nathan reported all these words in this entire vision to David. So God speaks through the prophet Nathan. And he tells him some of these things that are going to happen after. And mainly here, what I highlighted in green, David, I'm going to give you a forever dynasty. That the, that the throne will be yours and your families from now into time immemorial. And of course, we know that, that some of this, when we look at prophecies, I always think of the, the Grover from Sesame Street, that there's both near and far. All right? This, is, this is how it really helps me when I'm doing my Bible studies throughout the week. So the near prophecy is Solomon. So Solomon, we know there's some things that are true about Solomon, his descendant. Who's going to build the house for my name? It's going to be Solomon. Solomon builds the temple. We see that in the, in the story of the Bible. And then also we see that he says, when he does wrong, I'll discipline him. We know that Solomon does wrong. I can think off the top of my head of about a thousand things that Solomon does wrong, if you catch my drift. He's disciplined for those things. But then there's some things that would not make sense for Solomon. He says your, th th his kingdom will endure forever. Well, we know that Solomon himself, he dies. Like, he doesn't stay on the throne forever. And even his descendants, Zedekiah is the last king of Judah before they go in 586 into Babylonian exile. And is there a physical king on a physical throne in physical Israel today? 
There's not. So this has to be pointing to something beyond Solomon. And what do we know about Jesus Christ? That Jesus is the son of David. That Jesus, unlike the Solomon, the Solomon and the other kings, never sinned. But Jesus received the rod of discipline, did he not? Not for his own sins, but for the sin of Solomon and his sons, and for you and for me. And the temple that he would come to build, he says, I'm going to build you a house. And it wasn't a physical building. He said, in John 2, my body is the temple, and it will be torn down. But three days later, I will raise it up, and I will sit on the throne of David forever and ever and ever. And right now, today, King Jesus sits on the throne. Amen? And tomorrow, King Jesus will sit on the throne. Amen? And in 2,000 years from now, in 2 million years from now, in 2 billion years from now, Jesus Christ will sit on on the throne. Amen? That's our king forever and ever. And this is coming true in the promise to David. And so what we see is that Jesus, we, we think about this role, that the king had to place himself under the authority of the word of God. But here's the beautiful, mind-blowing thing, that Jesus himself, what do we say about Jesus in John 1? The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus himself doesn't just come like Nathan or Samuel with the authoritative word of God. Jesus is the authoritative word of God. He is both the prophet and the king. All of these roles, everything that we read, it finds its fulfillment in Jesus himself. He is both prophet and he is king. So our problem is that we want to be our own rulers. The truth is that we must place ourselves under the authority of the word of God. So what do we do? What's the solution? Well, by faith. By faith, we must place ourselves where we belong, under God's authority. Remember we said with King David, we're answering the question, what would rulership look like under God? What would the, what would the right king in the right nation look like with David and Israel under God's authority? And we said at the outset that when good things become replacement kings, they become sinful things. And we see this, that when we make anything the king of our life that is not the king Jesus himself, it's a false king and it's an idol and it destroys. But the beautiful truth is, when we sing that there is one king, we become free beings. If you want to be free, there's one path to take. Now when we hear the word free, what comes to our mind? Almost every time the first, when I hear the word freedom, I think of this, this ombre right here. You can take away our wives, but you can never take our freedom. What a, what a guy. What a guy. But then I also think about, our, we sing it in our own Star Spangled Banner, right, at the end. The land of the free, the home of the brave. In the West, when we hear the word freedom, we often think freedom to do whatever I want to do, Right? But that's not what biblical freedom is. Biblical freedom is not the ability to self-rule, to self-govern. That, that's what we call autonomy. Autonomy is to say it's the desire, as this guy's moving himself around with a little joystick, it's the desire to be self-directed. That I would say, I do what I want to do, what I believe is best to do. And this is an illusion. Aut autonomy, the ability to be self-governed completely, that's, that's not on the table for human beings. Uh, the way that I always, I always say, Bob Dylan, he sings the song, it may be the devil, or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. Or the way that, probably more importantly, uh, the Apostle Paul says it in, in Romans 6, don't you realize that you become the slave of whatever you choose to obey? So it says, you, you are the slave to what, isn't that what we said earlier? You serve your God. That's what he's saying. 
You can, be, you can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. He says there's, real, there's only two options. We can serve sin, and that master leads us to death, separation from God and destruction. Or we can serve God, and that leads us to light, life and peace. But here's the deal. Only in Christ do we even have an option. Before Christ, we didn't ha- the only master we could obey was sin. But Jesus came into this world, he says in verse 22, but now you are free. Why? Because King Jesus is alive. Because he died for our sin and rose to defeat death and sin forever. But now you are free from the power of sin and have become slaves of God. Now you do those things that lead to holiness and result in eternal life. Do you hear what he's saying? Freedom is not the ability to self-rule. Freedom is the ability to follow the rule of King Jesus. That's what he has freed us to, to do what Jesus tells us to do. Not what I want to do, what he wants to do. And the beautiful thing is he begins to align our desires so that what I want becomes what Jesus wants. And we hear this in Galatians chapter 5. When, when Paul says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not submit again to a lo- yoke of slavery. What's the yoke of slavery? To put ourselves again under sin and death. He says, don't go back to what you were freed from. Down in verse 13, you were called to be free, brothers and sisters, and don't, don't, and only, only, sorry, only don't use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but serve one another through love. He says, you are free from sin to do what? Not whatever you want, whatever God has told us to do. And what has Jesus told us to do? Verse 14, for the law is fulfilled in one statement, love your neighbor as yourself. We want to follow Jesus and obey his rule. We love the people around us. That's the way we love God. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out, or you will be consumed by one another. He says if you continue to try to be your own ruler, you move toward that destructive end. And brothers and sisters, we look around in our society today, and what do we see? We see devouring and consuming of one another. We see division tearing each other apart. Well, that's what's going to happen when you have a bunch of people who are trying to call the, their, the own, their own uh, direction of their life, right? When we have a bunch of little people trying to be their own little rulers, we're going to destroy each other. And, and we look at this last year and a half, and we've seen idolatry all over the place. And listen here, I'm just here to make everybody mad, okay? So okay, we, we, there are some who have looked for control in our government to say the government should regulate things. The government should tell us what to do. And we have a lot of people here who would say, yeah, right over my dead body, right? We also have people who would say, I am putting my trust and control in the Constitution that tells me I can do whatever I want to do. Now, I want you to hear me on this. The rights and freedoms that we have as a nation, and thank God for them, amen? I mean, a national experiment that has never been seen before on the face of this earth. And we, we thank God for those things. We, we, we vote for those things. We give voice to those things. We do things to stand up and say we want to preserve those freedoms and rights. But the moment that we take those good things and we make those things the ultimate thing, we're serving them and not God. Listen, we cannot put our trust ultimately in a piece of paper or in a president or in a king. Because nations rise and they fall. America can crumble to her knees and Jesus will still be on the throne. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. He will never stop reigning. Where is our trust? And I know, man, I've had to look at my own life. And I, I, know, I know in my own arrogance, I've had to repent from my own hypocrisy. 
Because I'm like, of course, I think I have the answer, right? This side thinks they're right. That side thinks they're right. I have that perfect middle third way that everyone needs to listen to, right? And you go, oh, Lord, I'm doing the exact same thing, right? Like, I have been looking at my own methods of control in my own life, and I've had to give those over. So I want to ask you, what, what, where do you spot an idol in your own heart? Where do you seek self-rule and control? Usually some of the indicator lights are anger, fear, anxiety. So how does the gospel speak to this? Well, a couple things and then we'll be done. What, what does it look like to place ourselves under the rulership of Jesus? What does it look like to obey the king of our lives, to be sheep of the true David, the true shepherd of our hearts? Four things. Number one, we, we must obey Jesus Christ. We must obey Jesus Christ. What happened with Israel? When they refused to obey God's word through the law and the prophets, they went right back to where they came from. They were exiled into slavery. They came out of Egypt's slavery, but now when they refused to obey God, they went right back in exile to Babylon and to Assyria, and they're right back in chains again. And brothers and sisters, when we do not obey God's law, the other option is sin, and it leads us to slavery and death. That's what, that's what Romans 6 says. That's what leads us to devouring and consuming one another. So how do we obey Jesus? Well, what does Jesus say to do? Well, number two, we, we must hear the word of God. We must hear the word of God. Just like David, who had to listen to God's word through Nathan and through the written law of Moses, we got to hear his word. we got to be in the word. Now, maybe some of you are, are baby Christians. or have, we, we, Even for someone like, a, like your pastor, and the Bible can be confusing, right? And the Bible can be super convicting. It can be hard. We, that's why we have to do this in community. Every Tuesday morning before, before the, 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 our leadership, the elders of our church, we take the passage that Ross or I are going to preach on, and we get in the word together. We say, what is this passage saying? We study it together, we ask the hard questions, then we say, Lord, how do you apply this to our hearts as, as individuals and, and as a church? I have to be in, in small groups in my discipleship, brother. Right now, a couple of my buddies and I were memorizing the sermon on the, chunks of the Sermon on the Mount, not the whole thing at once, that'd be hard. Um, and, and to not just know it, but to say, Lord, how do we actually obey you in this? What are you telling us to do and how do we live it out? Which takes us to the next one, that we must live the word of God. We must live the thing that we're hearing. James 1 says, don't be just doers of the word, but, but hear, not, excuse me, be, but be doers of the word. I'll just read it. How about that? But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. He says, don't just, don't hear it. It doesn't do us any good to just hear the word and not actually put it into practice. So we take Ephesians chapter 4. It says, remove bitterness, anger, and slander. But instead, be kind and compassionate and forgiving. It does me no good to hear those things and go, oh, yes and amen, close the Bible, and then go be bitter and slander and gossip about people. We've got to live out the thing that I just heard. And this is why we live in community, because our hearts are deceitful. Listen, I need the advice of the people around me to point out my blind spots, because by definition, I cannot see them. I need faithful brothers in my life. I need my wife. I need people who are willing to give them permission to say, when you see me not showing kindness, not having a forgiving spirit, not being compassionate, would you point that out to me? Lovingly, please, but point it out to me. We need each other so that we can live the way that Jesus has called us to live. But then finally, we must pray. We must pray. Prayer is, is our, the, the best way that we can indicate our own humility before our king. To show that we do not, we are not the king of our own lives, that we do not call the shots, to say, Jesus, you are in charge. What should the people of Israel have done? Not just come to Samuel with their list of demands. We want a king like the nations. They should have come to the representative of the word of God and say, what do you have for us? Our kingdom is a wreck. 
and we need you to lead us, God. What would you have for us? And we face these daily challenges in our lives. We need the first question we need to ask in prayers, King Jesus, what would you have for me? How would you have me treat this person? How would you, what decision would you have me make? The question cannot be, what would I do? What should I do? What do I think is best? We're back to the garden. We're eating fruit again. It's King Jesus, what would you have? How then shall I live? So what is true freedom? True freedom is when we sing, there is one king. That's when we become free beings. Would you pray with me? Father God, we thank you for these promises that you made to David. This wasn't just some obscure shepherd boy on a hillside that has nothing to do with us. The promises that you made to David were ultimately not fulfilled in David, but in the King Jesus. And as we'll look at next week, Lord, this was a coming king who would bring peace and prosperity and security for our hearts in a way that no king or president or constitution ever could. Father, would we be a people that would repent of our idols and cast our cares upon you, knowing that you're the only one that can ultimately offer the hope and the security and the prosperity that our hearts so long for. So, Father, we just pray. I pray for each person in this room today that would, that would just be honest with their hearts, that they would step into community to, to hear your word, to learn how to live it in this messy, grace-saturated, daily learning of what it means to grow in the image of King Jesus. But by your grace, through your spirit, can we do this. The gospel says we are free from sin and death, and we are now free to love through the person of the risen Jesus. And it's in his name, in the name of King Jesus, that we pray. And all God's people said. Would you stand with me?